You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Happy Monday. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. Uh, happy Monday to you and yours. I hope you had a fabulous weekend. You know, I went and saw my family again. Food, drinks, cards with family in Indianapolis. My brother was there. Uh, my cousins were there. My aunt was there. My mama was there. Awesome weekend. Always good to spend time with family. I kind of surprised my mother. That's two weekends in a row I've seen my mother. She's very pleased with me. Uh, and you guys are going to be very pleased with me because uh, I'm refreshed, I'm recharged, and I've got an awesome show uh, planned for us today. Uh, Royce White is going to be here. Uh, he's going to help me talk about uh, the shooting incident, the mass shooting incident in Sacramento. Uh, Shamika Michelle, she'll be here. Uh, there's a viral video featuring the Lieutenant Governor of, of uh, North Carolina talking about the transgender issue in a church, and it appears to be a black church, uh, to wild applause. We'll get into that with uh, Shamika Michelle. Steve Kim's gonna help me uh, recap a busy weekend in sports, including uh, Don Staley and the South Carolina Gamecocks winning the national championship. Uh, you know, just running roughshod over uh, UConn and Gino Ariema and the uh, UConn Huskies. Uh, we'll also talk about, <laughs> attached to that game, Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird uh, had a Manning cast, like uh, an extra broadcast of the women's Final Four and said some very inappropriate things that would have gotten a man fired or banned or something. Uh, we'll talk about that. And then people are saying... Uh, Duke didn't do the handshake line properly Saturday night when they lost to North Carolina. The Duke players walked off the court. Uh, we'll get Steve Kim's take on that. <clears throat> I have a take. Uh, and then we'll wrap up with uh, Uncle Jimmy uh, with an approval rating on Don Staley. And I think I'm going to ask Uncle Jimmy, uh, Shannon Sharp, Shannon Al Sharp Tongue, as I like to call him, the Fox Sports broadcaster. Uh, said he'd rather pay $20 a gallon in gas than have Donald Trump back in office. That caused quite a stir over social media. Uh, we'll get Uncle Jimmy's take on that. He was a co-worker of Shannon Sharp at Fox Sports. <laughs> and so we'll get Uncle Jimmy's take on that. So jam-packed blockbuster show. Let me warm you guys up by uh, starting a bit of a fire, and then we'll have Royce White come in and fan the flames. Um, let me get in very serious mode because this is a serious incident. Uh, the tragic mass shooting in downtown Sacramento Sunday morning provided President Joe Biden, NBA coach Steve Kerr, and other political leftists a platform to pretend to care about gun violence 
and advocate for gun control. Uh, President Biden said today, this is in a statement, today, America again mourns for another community devastated by gun violence. In a single act in Sacramento, six individuals left dead and at least a dozen more injured. Families forever changed. Survivors left to heal wounds, both visible and invisible. We must do more than mourn. We must act. Ban ghost guns, require background checks for all gun sales, ban assault weapons and high capacity magazines, repeal gun manufacturers immunity from liability. Uh, of course, Biden conveniently ignores the fact that California is home to some of the most restrictive gun laws in this nation. Those laws have not stopped one crip or blood from possessing a gun and discharging it at their discretion. Criminals do not care about laws. That's why they're criminals. Steve Kerr's Golden State Warriors were in Sacramento to play the Kings over the weekend. Kerr is never reluctant to virtue signal or amplify a Democrat talking point. He did not disappoint on Sunday. Take a listen. It's just devastating news. Um, and I know we'll have a moment of silence uh, before the game. Um, and I, I'll be honest, I think it's the right thing to do to have a moment of silence, but I'll be honest, it's probably the ninth or tenth moment of silence that I will have experienced as coach of the Warriors when we um, mourn the losses, our, our uh, people who have died in, in mass shootings. So I don't think moments of silence are going to do anything. Um, at some point, at some point, our government has to decide, um, are we going to have some common sense gun laws? It's not gonna solve everything, but it will save lives. Mm. Here's the problem, Steve Kerr. Leftists do not want common sense gun laws. They want to repeal the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. I used to agree with leftists on this issue a decade ago. Following a murder-suicide by Kansas City Chiefs linebacker Jovan Belcher, I wrote an infamous column attacking the National Rifle Association and, Second, and the Second Amendment. Bob Costas read the column on air during a broadcast of NBC's Sunday Night Football. At the time, I foolishly thought the Second Amendment had outlived its usefulness. The thought was rooted in the belief that all Americans valued freedom and order and that those shared values provided us more protection against an oppressive government than guns. The last decade has made me disavow that belief. The puppet masters of the left do not value freedom and order. They value power and control above all else. Freedom and order, in their view, are luxury items purchased by the uber-rich and rationed to the well-behaved working class. In the 246-year history of the United States, the Second Amendment has never been more sacrosanct than today. The right to bear arms is the only thing standing between us and an unmasked dictatorship. Our government is unwilling to protect our constitutionally guaranteed freedoms or our safety. The government surrendered freedom of speech to Silicon Valley tech companies. 
The government surrendered our major cities to criminals, gangs, Antifa, and Black Lives Matter protesters. Our government emasculated law enforcement. Teacher unions control the education of our kids. Why would any American citizen turn over their guns in the current climate established by leftists? We're going to rely on the police? Police in Canada, at the behest of the government, crack down on peaceful truck drivers. Police and FBI agents in America baited and entrapped unarmed citizens at the Capitol and then served as corroborating witnesses in a bogus corporate media narrative that painted angry protesters as participants in a violent coup attempt. The behavior and words of Joe Biden and Steve Kerr increase America's appetite for self-protection through gun ownership. Dishonesty and cluelessness from the people in charge and the people with the loudest voices breeds paranoia and belief in conspiracy. You can't produce order from disorder. People who do not, who do not value order cannot produce it. Gun laws won't fix broken families. It's the equivalent of street gangs replacing nuclear families. American citizens know this, even if our politicians and media talking heads loathe to admit it. We also know what happened in Sacramento this weekend is not remotely unfamiliar to anyone who has spent time in America's major cities. Nightclubs close, black patrons mill around in the parking lot and hope there is no gun violence before they exit the scene in their cars or in an Uber. It's a symptom of urban decay, the rot and destruction of the black family. One video I watched of the Sacramento incident captured the sound of 76 shots in 54 seconds. It sounded like Friday night in Chicago, or Friday night in Baltimore or Philadelphia, or Friday night in Indianapolis, or any day of the week in the Ukraine. We've grown accustomed to this sound. Ignoring the sound and collateral damage have been normalized. Maybe we'll be shocked this time and learn that the Proud Boys, the Boogaloo Boys, and the KKK were responsible for this shooting. That would certainly make Joe Biden and Steve Kerr happy, but it won't change the fact that if Biden and Kerr were legitimately interested in a reduction in gun violence, they would advocate for traditional family structure and respect for law enforcement. They would oppose Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and street gangs as strongly as they oppose right-wing militias. Who do you think is more responsible for dead black men, the Proud Boys or the Crips? Are the Proud Boys responsible for one black murder? One, I don't know, tell me. I don't think the people killed in Charlottesville or the person killed, in, I don't think it was a black person. So are the, do the Proud Boys have one black body on their resume? But they're an existential threat to America and black America. They're the white supremacy that must be stopped before black people can feel safe.
Democrats want to repeal the Second Amendment, they should work to create a climate in which American citizens feel safe from government tyranny, big tech censorship, destructive organized unrest disguised as social justice, and the violence pervasive in single parent communities. Three things produce a civil society, truth, nuclear families, and respect for law enforcement. As long as the left opposes all three, don't get mad that people prefer to keep all of their guns. Mm. That's my fire. Normally, I start a fire and then I just start fanning the flames myself with all this extra stuff that I, I, I didn't say. But I really don't have a bunch of extra stuff I didn't say. We will not be shocked to find out that uh, what happened in Sacramento was gang activity. Anybody that's lived in a major American city, and that's pretty much all I've done my entire life. I've lived in Indianapolis, Kansas City, Charlotte, Los Angeles, Nashville. Fam I got family spread out everywhere in major cities. When there's 76 gunshots go off in 54 seconds outside of a nightclub, been through that, know that well. That's gang activity, sounds to me. And look, maybe we'll be shocked. Maybe, I'm maybe it's the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys. Maybe it's some militia that came out of the woods in Montana and drove to Sacramento to shoot up nightclub goers in Sacramento. Maybe that's what happened. Let's all pretend like the, the obliteration of family structure that's pervasive in the black and brown community, but really in the black community pervasively, that this type of violence follows that community, single parent, baby mama communities. And, and that people in rural areas where the family structures seem to be a bit more intact, they have guns and they don't have mass shootings. They don't have every weekend shootings. They may have barroom fisticuffs, but they don't have the kind of pervasive problem we have of shooting each other. Uh, let me go off uh, to Royce White, and because I, I got to bring Royce into this, and I'm glad Royce was available today, because it was a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, uh, Royce made the point to me on this show, like, hey man, if we didn't have guns, they would come into our homes and stick needles with this alleged experimental vaccine in all of our arms. And when, and when Royce said that, I, my head nearly exploded, like, that's it. This is why I have completely pivoted on the Second Amendment, gun rights, and the NRA. I used to naively think that, oh man, the left ain't, they ain't that crazy. They love freedom. They want order too. And I'm, t 2012, I write that Javon Belcher deal, 
Bob Costas reads it all. Everybody's talking about me, and it's a big deal. And I'm a decade later, I'm half embarrassed by that column, how wrong I was. And I, I literally would, in 2012, I was going on shows and arguing like, <laughs> stop it, man. We have the Second Amendment is outlived its usefulness. Oh, the left ain't that crazy. They're not gonna come in and take your rights away. One of the most naive, stupid things I've ever thought, said in my entire life. And, and I was already awake, but when Royce made that point about the vaccines and, and like, you know, they're not kicking in our doors and sticking us with the vaccine, that was like the, the final straw, like, that's it. Uh, Royce, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, really appreciate you. Uh, and so I, I, I I th again, I, I, I my argument is if the left were really serious about gun control, then they would couple that with, hey, man, we got to really, really invest and respect law enforcement and make sure they're empowered to, to maintain peace. And we have to invest and empower families so that mom and dad are, off, are the first police officers kids ever meet, that it's mom and dad. But if, if you're going to be about tearing up the nuclear family and defunding the police, to me, you can't be serious about gun control. You can't, you can't expect people to give up their guns when you're legalizing chaos in all, in all of our American cities. Well, I, I think you're right. Um, first of all, <clears throat> Steve Kerr there, I mean, th that's the example of somebody who's in an existential crisis who gets their politics with their French fries, right? Th that's just fast food politics, what he's doing. And the NBA as a woke institution, and many of these woke institutions, I think, are not so much indoctrinated with liberalism that they're just trying to get the most lazy version of politics that they can get their hands on. Um, as, as far as the Second Amendment issue goes, I mean, th this strikes right at the heart of what's wrong with our country today. This is, this is what happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ideas in our Constitution versus the circumstance of which they were constituted, right? And, and what we're talking about with the Second Amendment and gun rights is independence, right? Freedom and independence and the, and the safety uh, of citizenship through freedom and independence versus the determination of the state and the corporation to continue socializing risk of our culture and our society, okay? And, and part of this, to be honest, is that we are trying to legislate ourselves out of an uh, immoral culture, right? We're, we're trying to use the law and legislation to dig our way out of a deep, deep moral crisis. And, and we're doing it alongside of a, a runaway attempt to completely look away from uh, the immorality of our economics, right? So, so we have the degradation of our moral culture that we want to legislate our, our way out of, which will never work, by the way, because we have no foundational, cultural, deeply rooted values to bring ourselves out of that hole alongside the legislation. But we do it in conjunction with, a, with an attempt to uh, you know, institute a, a, an economic imperialism, corporatocracy. We say when it comes to the economics, there are no morals. 
We'll sell every last man, woman, and child to the CCP and the globalists. But when it comes to the guns, we have to be hyper-moral. We have to take away all the independence and sovereignty and personal responsibility of the individual uh, uh, to protect ourselves from these anomalous shootings. And mass murders are anomalous, and, and even more so, homicide, even in the black community, is anomalous. It is, a, it is a national crisis. It is an issue that we have to address and we should fight hard to address. But we should fight it from a, from a, a starting place of moral clarity and, and moral mission. And, it, and it's faith in God. And, and both parties, um, the uniparty has, has conceded that the morality of our culture is no longer necessary, especially when it comes to socially. Right. Uh, and, and that is a part of the, the, you know, the fourth industrial revolution and everything that everything they plan for, for our people, our citizens. I want to buttress or provoke you in ex expounding on the immorality angle, because what I think is really immoral is for someone like Steve Kerr, multimillionaire, uh, Joe Biden, multimillionaire, politically powerful, they understand that they're going to enjoy a level of freedom, and, and I'll give you, give you the easy example, it's like Gavin Newsom, all of the people on the left, they, they, oh, you gotta wear a mask, you gotta wear a mask. And then they will be pictured socializing amongst their group of elite friends, and none of them are wearing a mask. We saw that for two years. And so they want a level of freedom that they don't want commoners to have. They want a level of safety. Again, Steve Kerr can afford to live in a gated community. He can afford his own private security if necessary. And, and so they believe in law and order for themselves. They're willing to hire off-duty police officers to protect them, protect their property and homes and, and their own physical safety. And so again, they want freedom and safety to go to the highest bidders. And they feel like, oh, I'll be good. And then the rest of you fend for yourself and you know, screw the police. Uh, screw your freedom, you know, put, put your little kids in masks. Again, there's no different than uh, at the beginning of COVID, they caught some guy out in San Francisco that was head of a teacher's union or whatever that was arguing, hey, kids shouldn't be in school because of COVID. And then they caught him on camera taking his own son to school yeah. right at the yeah. height of the COVID pandemic. And so these elites, this is the immorality. It's like they want freedom and safety for themselves. And then uh, the rest of y'all will provide you as much freedom and safety as we deem necessary for your survival. That's really immoral to me. Well, I would say you're right. Um, and I'm not sure as to the percentage of people of that political disposition, uh, how much of them are in on it and how much of them are how many of them are ignorant to it? I would say there's uh, a group of them that, like you are saying, uh, have this completely uh, selective view of freedom and independence that is predicated around class, let's say. Um, but, but there's something even more dangerous and dark to it, okay? Some of them, like Joe Biden, for example, are very aware that the continued socialization of risk, danger, let's say gun violence, is the perfect predicate 
to usher in authoritarianism. And that's what I was trying to explain before when it came to the vaccine mandate. They're trying to say, hey, the gun violence is an inevitable outcome of a culture, of a culture that, is moral, that has morally decayed. And when, and when those volcanoes erupt, we will then weaponize and use those circumstances to justify authoritarianism. And that's what really bothers me and makes me the most upset is, is the, the, uh, the scam that's run on the American people telling them we're interested in your safety and freedom and independence in the first place. No, they're not. They're trying to clear the, the runway for them to come and land a 747 of tyranny. Listen, Royce, and, and I'm not saying this to be remotely humorous or even to feed you gas. I'm not doing this to blow your ego, but you're so smart that sometimes, even for me, it's like I'm playing catch up trying to, cause you're, you're really ahead of the conversation. You, you t and so if you could dumb that explanation down just a little bit more so that a layman like yeah. myself and some of our yes. viewers can fully understand it. Look, liberalism and liberal ideology, let's say, alongside with the Republican establishment that forms the uniparty are all in together for the cultural decay of our citizenship and as a product, our communities. So the inevitable outcome of that is chaos and violence. And they see that as a perfect opportunity to ride in on a horse and say, you see how dangerous these people have become or can get when there isn't big government, when there isn't a big corporation to tell them how to think and what to do. And as soon as those gun violences, gun violences happen, whether it be in black communities, which the liberals don't admit, but behind closed doors, when they go to legislate, they use all gun violence as a pretext to take away the Second Amendment rights because they're playing three steps ahead. And that's why I speak the way that I do, because they these people aren't kidding around. They want to turn America into Canada, into Australia, and eventually into this China, the CCP. And, 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 and the only thing that's stopping that from happening is our Second Amendment rights. And I understand that mass shootings and the black on black crime is a tragic outcome of our Second Amendment, but that's not a byproduct of the idea of the Second Amendment as a stable mechanism against the tyranny of the state. That's a byproduct and a failure of man's culture and morality. So we need to solve the culture and morality if we're going to address the gun issue, not our constitution. This is how people like the guy who said that the Constitution is trash. This is what they're trying to do. They're using your fear of somebody coming and breaking in your house as an excuse for them to have um, the ultimate surveillance over your house as the state. And when that time comes, they'll be running in your house, jabbing you with with medicines and experimental vaccines left and right. And I hope, so I hope that was simple. One of the sorry, it, it was. It was much. It was much easier to digest, and just even hearing it a second time, it's much easier to digest. Again, when, when you start unpacking ideas that are old to you but new to others, sometimes it takes a little bit more effort. But, but, but one thing I think I heard you say, and, and I think I agree with, is, is like you're saying, look, man, in reality, America doesn't have some super out of control gun violence epidemic. In, in, look, is it bad? Yes, I think is what you're saying. But is it, 
is it like as pervasive and are, are we as vulnerable as the media would like you to believe? And, and, and I think you're, you're saying that, no, we're not that vulnerable. And, and because of uh, what the freedoms that the Second Amendment provides all of us, that th there are gonna be consequences to that. And so we can go be Europe and take guns away from everybody, but you're not gonna be nearly as free. And a lot of these freedoms we take for granted won't be protected anymore. And this government, once they get the guns up away from you, they're gonna snatch all of these freedoms away from you. And you're, the, the government is going to be in control of your happiness, your level of success. And, and you know it's gonna serve a handful of elites and the rest of us will get served, and I apologize for cursing, but shit sandwiches for the rest of our lives and be told, oh, that, that's actually filet mignon. So, so I'll put it even more simple. To get rid of the Second Amendment in this country or any country, to give up your guns as a citizen, is to assume that the government is incapable of wickedness and tyranny. And that's just a ridiculous notion for anybody who has any understanding of history. The government, the state is always and tends to be uh, capable of wickedness and tyranny. And in fact, when their citizens don't have guns, they tend to dive into it and double down on it like we saw in Canada and Australia and that and how they've been doing it in, in China for a very long time. Um, so, you know, the, the, the ultimate understanding is that, yes, uh, every single life and, and we do have to understand the value of a life. Is, is, pre, is there's a premium on that for Judeo-Christian culture and society. But we can't allow that to condition us in such fear that we give away all resemblance of individual courage to some super state. Because none of them have proven that, that our safety is, is well off in their hands. That's not a reality for American citizens. And anybody who believes that is completely and utterly detached from the reality and circumstance of our of, of our society. The government cannot be trusted. So I'll give you another example. One, one last thing is this. Even on the Republican side, we have this huge deal about law and order. And, and, and my my uh, amendment, let's say, to this idea of law and order that's promoted so often is that it's it's wrong. It's not law and order that we want. It's peace and order. Because law and order, the law can be corrupted. And when the law is corrupted by lawmakers and the others who conspire to do it from the state and formal institutions, it undermines the rule of law. We want peace. And the way you achieve peace through Judeo-Christian values, peace is when man submits his passions to his reason and his reason to God. That can create peace within the individual and thus start to be uh, set the stage to have peace with others, which then allows for order. We want peace and order, and peace and order only comes through Judeo-Christian values. It doesn't come by way of fiat, from a corrupt state, mind you. Royce, you've made an excellent point. I, I'm, I'm really in tune because I'm t a lot of my friends reach out, and, man, this Royce White, he's brilliant, blah, blah, blah. College educated, not college educated or whatever. Sometimes you use words that they have to go to the dictionary for or they'll call and ask me about. 
awesome explanation of peace and order. I wish I had talked to you this morning before I wrote my piece, but eventually I'm going to get around to this peace and order concept. You said through fiat. Explain fiat. Uh, fiat is just by legislation, by government rule or decree, right? That that's fiat. So when you when when you hear people say there's a fiat currency, that's what they mean. There's a there's a fiat currency system, right? And and fiat is just by way of law. Um, so you know, and, and and to the fearless audience, I love them to death, and I don't mean to talk over anybody's head or sound pretentious. Uh, I'm I'm not that educated. I I I did one year of college. I was a one and done athlete, and to to be quite honest. My workload when I my two years before I played my first year uh, wasn't that difficult for me. So I'm not super educated. But but the, the reality is that I listen to what these people are saying that they're going to do. And, and so I had to educate myself on the conversation and language they've used uh, to, to speak in code amongst themselves in front of the world. at let's say the World Government Forum, where a woman stands right up before the crowd and says, are you ready for new world order? I continuously go back and reference the things they say and the language they use to prepare myself to to fight and stand for my citizenship. And so and I don't want you to ever be ashamed of, you know, your vocabulary and all of that. Do it. all, But but I, I will say this, and this is why I'm so beholden to my working class background uh, and, and just my family, my friends. My mom and dad, again, my dad didn't graduate high school. My mother was a factory worker. One of the reasons why, and people don't understand, it's one of the things people overlook about Trump and his popularity is, is I think he graduated from an Ivy League school. He's certainly worth a, a lot of money. But that dude talks like he's at the bowling alley uh, with my uncle, my mother and them, and, and people just, they love it. And the media and everybody looks at him like he's crazy, he's a hick, he's an idiot, blah, blah. But he's talking to a, a part of America that, you know, it's primarily white, but he's really trying to, to just have outreach to the working class person, regardless of color. Uh, the media's done a, a good job of portraying him as some sort of racist, and so black people are unwilling to listen. Uh, but it, it, it's somewhat of a strategy of his, and it's somewhat of a strategy that, that I've adopted. My vocabulary, despite being a writer, uh, isn't, you know, isn't overwhelming, and some of that's intentional because I, I want to communicate with working. I want my cousin, Josh, if he's watching today, I want him to understand exactly what I'm talking about. He's what's most important to me. Uh, you know, I help raise him, love to do like a son. So anyway, I, I'm now, off rambling a little bit. No, let me let me say this. And, and I think this is important because the gun issue and the Constitution issue and all of these issues are a part of a culture war. And the main mechanism of the left and the authoritarian establishment is to degrade the intellectual capacity of the working class. That's why they have constituted a society and a working class uh, uh, culture in America and an education system that doesn't allow or encourage or incentivize people to have a higher intellect. Okay. And, and that is the greatest scam being run. And, and so my, my point is to say what part of what I'm trying to do or what I continue to stay committed to doing 
is to try and inspire, let's say young black people, for example, but all young Americans to detach themselves from this this avalanche of of intellectual, you know, uh, disconnectedness long enough to, uh, you know, engage engage the circumstance of our society in a highly intellectual way. There was a time in America, like when the Constitution was written, for example, these 300 or so American patriots that wrote the Constitution were intellectual juggernauts. So how could you possibly plan to fundamentally defend your rights as an American citizen if you have trouble reading the first few lines of the United States Constitution? These, are, these ideas are heavily predicated in philosophical intellectualism. And, and, and part of the reason why they've gone after intellectuals, let's say in the black community, for example, like a Malcolm X, who was a very, very philosophical and intellectual man, and so was Martin Luther King. I mean, Martin Luther King might have been one of the most philosophical people in American history. If you hear him talk, I mean, he puts me to shame 10, 100 fold. Um, but we can't even start to defend our citizenship if we don't first understand that their main weapon is to dumb us down and find the courage to step back into the light of, of discernment, which is a gift from God. Mm. Thank you, Royce. Uh, awesome job as always. Uh, I'm gonna have to have a conversation with Delano about how we open up this title of smartest man on the show. Uh, Maybe it's just smartest men on the show. Maybe that's where we'll, <laughs> we'll go there. But uh, Royce White, excellent job as always. All right, uh, let me tell you about my good friends at Good Ranchers. The way inflation is in this country right now, going to the grocery store is becoming a little bit like going to a luxury car dealership. If you haven't seen the price of meat lately, you're in for a pretty nasty surprise. Thank goodness there's a solution. Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers only sources and sells 100% American meat. You order it and they send it right to your door. It's just that simple. And guess what? You can beat inflation with Good Ranchers. Once you subscribe, your best price is locked in for life. Get your $30 discount on prime steaks and better than organic chicken by going to GoodRanchers.com fearless. Good Ranchers takes the guesswork out of the grocery store by sourcing everything from local farms and shipping it to your door. Use my code fearless and enjoy your $30 saving on your box of 100% American meat. Order now to combat inflation with Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. Mm. Had some more Good Ranchers this weekend with my mom. Loved it, loved me. Everybody was joking. Oh, my aunt was like, you sent your mama all that uh, Good Ranchers stuff. How come you ain't send me some? Now I gotta send my aunt some Good Ranchers, but I love to do it because they believe in me, they believe in you, they believe in our way of thinking. All right, Shamika Michelle. Nurse. All right, time for my favorite time of the show. I get to visit with Ms. Shamika Michelle, and we have a good little local issue here, or issue uh, emanating from North Carolina. Shamika Michelle lives in North Carolina. Shamika, uh, before I play this clip, have you been following the exploits of Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson? I have, and I know he's going to get a lot of pushback for this, just as he did when he came out against some inappropriate books in school. So, yes, I'm following it. 
All right, so I, I want to start here, and I'm going to maybe throw a little curveball with my question to you about this, but let's play the clip that it went viral this weekend from Mark Robinson, the lieutenant governor of North Carolina. Here's something else I'm not supposed to say. Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. And I can already see WRL out there. They got they licking their pencils right now. Trying to write fierce as they can. Get every word of this here. Get every word of this. You can go to the doctor and get cut up. You can go down to the dress shop and get made up. You can go down there and get drugged up. But at the end of the day, you were just a drugged up, dressed up, made up, cut up, man or woman. You ain't changed what God put in you, that DNA. You can't transcend God's creation. I don't care how hard you try. The transgender movement in this country, if there's a movement in this country that is demonic, and that is full of anti the spirit of antichrist. It is the transgender movement. It's time for grown-ups and time for Christians to start standing up and being unafraid to tell the truth. Come after me if you want to. I don't care. You want my head? Here it is right here. Come on, come get it. I don't care because it's time for us to stand up. Now I'm not afraid to stand up and tell the truth about that issue. They're dragging our kids down into the pit of hell, trying to teach them that mess in our schools. Tell you like this, that ain't got no place at no school. Two plus two don't equal transgender. It equals four. We need to get back to teaching them how to read instead of teaching them how to go to hell. Yeah, I said it and I mean it. Mm. Uh, so there were a couple of things I found interesting about this, and I'll start with the easiest one first, is that uh, he's apparently speaking in a black church to a lot of black people in the clergy and the ministry, uh, whatever. Uh, and so I, I, I think that might surprise some people that the black ministry has found a moral issue uh, that it's willing to actually stand on uh, rather than, you know, about oh, the Democratic Party's for this. So we're for this. It seems like the trans issue is one where even the black church, I guess, this is a bridge too far for the black church. Do you agree with that? I definitely think it's a bridge too far. And it makes me excited to hear him actually stand up with boldness to say such things. I think that we need this type of leadership all across the country. And let me say that since he is from North Carolina, this gives me an opportunity to brag a little bit that North Carolina has the most black Republican leadership than any other state in the country. We have over 30 plus 
plus we have over 30,000 plus black Republicans. And that doesn't even include people like myself, include people like myself that are unaffiliated that lean right. So this is very exciting for me. He was at the Upper Room Church, which is Kojic. Kojic has a, a large uh uh, population. And so I'm just very excited about the change. And, and I understand that because of this, he's going to have a big backing. And it makes me really confident that he'll be less likely to fold as some other people would when they begin to get pushed back. So here's my other issue. And this will be shocking coming from me because it really... But when I watch the video and I watch other videos, because people send me Mark Robinson videos, they've been sending them to me for the last year. I've never fully dove into them. This one caught my attention and made me look at other ones. And, and Shamika, I'm just gonna be honest with you. My initial thought watching the videos were like, this is why I'm committed to addressing my health and losing weight is because his size distracts from the message. And it, it, it just watching it because everything that he was saying is like, I agree with. And there's other videos I could play where I'm like, man, I really agree. And he, he's saying it powerfully, eloquently, eloquently. But, you know, in several, not just this one we just played in several videos, he seems to carry a towel to wipe the sweat off his head. And, and, and it just says to me that, okay, I, I can't be heard as effectively if I'm this obese and overweight. And so I want, did any of that cross your mind when you think about Mark Robinson? I think I'm kind of used to it, Jason, because I grew up in the black church, but I understand exactly where you're coming from. There have been plenty of times when I've heard obese preachers and I've thought to myself the scripture, which I believe is in first Corinthians, know ye not that the body is the temple of God and the spirit of God dwelleth in you. He that defiles the temple, temple, him shall God destroy. So I think that as black ministers and preachers and black leaders in general, we have to really take accountability and responsibility and start making sure that we take care of the temple. So I definitely understand why you feel that way, because that's been a thought that has crossed my mind many a times listening to many black preachers over the years. Like if you really believe God's word, why are you not trying to take care of your temple? Why aren't you making sure that you're in the best possible shape ever? And we know that obesity is a big issue and all of the medical conditions that it can cause. And that's not even just obesity, but anything. You have people that get into sexual immorality that causes all types of issues within the body. So I do think that we have to really start to take that particular scripture to heart and really, really focus on how we treat the temple. If we're gonna believe any other thing that God has said. Well, and, and so for me, it, it goes beyond just like, okay, he's individually and I am risking my health 
uh, by being this weight or damaging my health by being this weight. But, you know, those are like individual, you can take whatever risk you want. You know, if I want to choke on a double cheeseburger from McDonald's, that's on me. But if I actually want to be heard and to have people hear what I say in context, I can't have them sitting there distracted. And I mean this because I, I'm telling you, I love what this brother says. Uh, I really do. And so I, I don't mean this disrespectfully or, or not, but I literally was watching a guy and sometimes I would zone out because I would be in my mind debating like, is this 375 or is he pushing four bills? Literally, that, those were questions that were run, and I don't mean it disrespectfully. It, it, it's just like, is, is he, you know, and this sweat that's coming out of his head, is he going to pop at some point? And, and it sounds like I'm joking, but again, I'm, this is the voice of experience. And again, I don't, know what, I don't know how tall he is, I don't know what size he is, but I could show, somebody, they sent, Steve Kim sent me a picture of me on the sports reporters on ESPN years ago. Uh, this, you know, maybe 20 years ago. And at that time, I would imagine I was at the same weight that Mark Robinson is in that video. And, and I can remember when Steve Kim sent me this picture because they played it in a, a, a ESPN 30 for 30 and he captured the image and, and I'm the chair looked like a toothpick sticking out of my rear end. And, you know, I just, and I looked at it, I was like, oh my God, how did anybody hear me? And what were they thinking uh, listening to me on the sports reporters when I was this enormous? And so I, I just think it distracts from the message and, and it, it hammered to me a lot of things when people, when Tony Dungy got on me, gets on me for cursing. I was like, hey, Jason, you're distracting from your message. You know, you're saying some really important things. Don't clutter it up and distract with cursing. And, and you know, for me over the, you know, since August, since Uncle Jimmy got COVID, I'm trying to unclutter my message from people looking and saying, what's Jason Way? Is, is, that, is that 290 or is he at 325 right now? Uh, <laughs> I just want them listening to what I have to say and not worrying about, uh, is, is, that a, is that a double cheeseburger in the corner of his mouth? Or <laughs> so I, I'm just, I just think it's a distraction. Jason, let me say that when I look back at your old videos, if you don't mind me saying, you do look like a pimple that is ripe and ready to just squeeze to see exactly what comes out. And I have to agree with you about not having things that distract other people. One of those things for me is cursing. So I do try to make an effort not to get up here and just say a bunch of curse words because I want people to hear exactly what I have to say. So I think with Mike Rob Mark Robinson losing weight, with me not trying to curse, you not looking like you have a, a double cheeseburger hanging out your mouth, we do have to be mindful that we want people to be able to hear and receive the message. We want it to fall on good ground. And so I, I agree with you simply because I myself have sat and listened to someone and thought to myself, you believe Jesus? 
Like, really? You believe you have all this faith, but God can't help you lose weight. So I know that if you think like that and I think like that, that ha there has to be a lot of other people that that has crossed their mind as well. But I'm just so excited that we have a leader, a black man at that who is willing to actually come against this foolishness that we've been seeing. And that um, sermon is a year old. So it just makes me really confident that he's going to keep pushing forward. And because I'm in North Carolina, I am ready for him to run for governor and I support him completely. But I would like him to be able to actually run and finish the term. So I would like him to put his health first. <laughs> Thank you, Shamika. Thank you. Uh, we're going to have to call that, uh, we'll, we'll call him uh, Chris Crispy uh, <laughs> if he don't, if he don't uh, address his weight deal. All right, uh, stick around. We're going to move on to the uh, Korean Cosell and talk a little sports. Uh, Don Staley in South Carolina won the national championship. Uh, Diana Taurasi. Uh, was very inappropriate on the Manning-type cast that they had for the Final Four last night. And uh, did Coach K, when they lost on Saturday, did the Duke Blue Devils show poor sportsmanship by ducking out of the handshake line? All that and more with Steve Kim. All right, welcome back. Uh, Steve Kim's going to join us uh, here in a second. You know what? Let's bring on Steve Kim right now because, Steve, I want to see your reaction uh, to my statement that Don Staley, the head basketball coach of the South Carolina Gamecocks, will be an NBA head coach within the next 18 months. Oof. Uh, I, I, I think that they won a national championship last night. South Carolina's second, uh, I think, since 2017. They probably would have won last year's, I think, or was it last year? The Final Four, two years ago, the Final Four was canceled, and they were the number one ranked team. They, they would have three national championships. Don Staley is not long for the game of women's college basketball. The NBA is going to, she gets about $3 million a year right now from South Carolina. The NBA is going to pay her 6 to $7 million bucks to uh, come in and coach. Uh, there's a chance, it could be as early as this offseason when Frank Vogel gets fired, uh, that, because again, so LeBron's going to scapegoat somebody. And they'll just turn the team over to LeBron, have Don Staley come in. Who, who was the woman that, is it Nancy oh. Lieberman that keeps winning the big three titles? Uh, <laughs> uh, and so, you know, I, I think some figurehead women's coach, Don Staley, as, as an NBA head coach, it just makes way too much sense. Uh, you think I'm crazy. Look, that reaction you just saw from me, my eyes turned round. But as crazy as it sounds, and as much as I think it's illogical, I, I did a little research on Miss Staley. She's black, she's female, she's lesbian, she's incredibly woke. So yeah, 
She checks all the woke SJW boxes, but as a Laker fan, uh, I wouldn't like it. I wouldn't jump on board of it. I'm, I'm already kind of over my Laker fanhood. I've had a good 35-year run with the franchise. I'm watching Winning Time, which is a great work of fiction done by HBO. <laughs> but can we be honest about it? And I think TJ Mo touched upon it last week, and you were a college Division I athlete. There is no male athlete in the deepest recesses of their mind that really wants to be coached by a woman when it comes to football and really even basketball. Let's be honest about it. And a lot of these guys that be forced, hey, how's it feel to be coached by a female? They're all going to be captain cliche and say, hey, it really doesn't matter. We listen to our coach. We respect our authority. But in the back of their minds, they're thinking, I don't really respect them. They couldn't play the game that I did. And I'm not saying guys like Jeff Van Gundy could play basketball, but there is a dynamic that people have to be very, very blunt about. Most men in those type of sports, they only want to be coached by other men, even if they don't like them. I disagree with you. I think you're uh, unfamiliar or, or overlooking how many how this culture, you got to remember, the NBA is, what, 80% black players. Uh, they come from a baby mama culture, and, and the matriarchy is dominant in black culture. And so respect for women and female authority is at its highest within black, and I know that rap music and all that other vile stuff, and I, the, the divorce rate, and the abandonment, and all, all of, but in terms of voices that they're willing to listen to, I think a black woman, oh. theoretically, theoretically oh. makes sense. In practice, will it? Because do I think Don Staley knows anything really, really about the NBA, and when you spend your life coaching a game that's played below the rim, it's not an easy transition to then coach a game that's played above the rim. It's a completely yeah. different style and discipline of play that she's unfamiliar with. Yes, they play a round ball with a round ball and they shoot it through a hoop, but the games are completely different. And, and just, I'm not disrespecting her level of success, but it's going to be exaggerated, her level of success, just like Gino Ariema, he's not Coach K, he's not Bobby Knight, he's not Tom Izzo, he's not even John Thompson. He, he's, he's dominated a sport that's not all that competitive, as you can tell by just like, who makes it to the Final Four every year in the women's bracket? It's either all number one seeds, with one, two seed, there's a handful of th three or four teams, five, six teams that have a shot every year to win the national title where there's far more parity and competition within men's college basketball. And so hats off to Gino Ariema, hats off to Pat Summit, hats off to Don Staley, what they're doing, but it's just not as, imp as impressive as Bobby Knight, I think, winning three national titles Coach K, did he win five or six? I can't remember, five. Uh, it, it's just not as impressive. And so 
I, I think she's going to get a lot of hype. It's going to make a lot of sense on paper and theoretically. LeBron James or whoever the biggest star is on the team that she's coaching, because she's not going to go to Orlando. She, she's not even going to go to San Antonio. She's going to go someplace where there's a pretty good roster and she has a chance, because again, having her coach a team that wins 30 games does the NBA no good. She won't be on TV enough, games won't be competitive enough, but put her on a roster with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and you can put that on TV. And that's the other thing you gotta remember about professional sports, it's just a TV show at this point. The, the competition, all of that takes a backseat to narrative arc and agenda. And so, on paper, it's gonna make sense. In practice, some of the players or an assistant coach will be running the team, and she'll just be part of, she'll just give Malika Andrews and L. Duncan <laughs> something to talk about and someone to interview. Well, two points here. The fact that the most well-known college coach right now is Don Staley, that the next move for her is not the WNBA, but the NBA says all you need to know about the irrelevance of the WNBA. Going back to your point, though, about young men who grew up without fathers. Well, you look at the societal breakdowns that you have talked about a lot and earlier in the program. Given their behavior and what is going on societally and culturally, are you sure NBA players really want to have leadership from another female? I, I disagree with that. There comes a point that I think players, after a certain point, the ones that have made it, that one, the ones that have some discipline and some self-respect, I think that they actually begin to crave discipline and male leadership and buy into it. If I'm a 28-year-old guy who's already put my time in the NBA and I've been through a lot of things in my life, I wouldn't want to be a part of that Don Staley sideshow. I really wouldn't. A lot of these guys don't even want to be woke. And I guess she was the one that wouldn't let her team come out for the national anthem on most games because of the oppression. And meanwhile, I'm seeing tweets about her wearing some $5,000 Letterman jacket. That's the oppression of America, that she gets to wear a $5,000 Letterman jacket that's not even in the team colors. To me, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm looking at that thing. I'm going, what was the point there? Well, I, I have more respect for her if she wore a Louis Vuitton tracksuit than that. You can't tell me on one end the oppression that I face as a black lesbian woman in America. Meanwhile, neat jacket. Okay. Th those two mess messages seem to be very, very mixed to me, Jason. So her explanation about the national anthem is the timing of their pregame routine. It depends on what time the national anthem is played, whether her team's on the court. They were on the court last night with UConn for the National Anthem. In some previous games, they weren't on the court because of when the National Anthem was played or whatever, but I get you and I hear you. Uh, you know, the, 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 the $5,000 Louis Vuitton or whatever statement she was trying to make with the jacket, uh, again, it's just, <laughs> but, but let, me, let me make this other observation and point that I made last night in terms of just how feminine the NBA has become. And, and so literally, and I, I pointed this out, I was half joking, but I was half serious. The number of hairstyles and hair colors last night oh, during the women's championship game reminded me of the men's game. 
Mm. This is, it look, the men are so now obsessed with their hair and what color their hair is and how their hair is styled. I, Don Staley will be having group field trips to the beauty shop uh, in the NBA. And because this is what the players are accustomed to. They've been feminized and don't even know it. They, they, they spend half of their free time work, getting their hair done and getting their hair colored. And it, it, it's, I'm just, the whole thing has been feminized to the point that having a female coach, a lot of these guys would, would love it and or where she would struggle, the, I think she would struggle more in college basketball where those kids are actually looking for insight in how to develop as basketball players so they can make the NBA. The guys in the NBA are drowning in so much money and, and you know don't have any full understanding of the money they're making, and so they, they think they're making monopoly money, and, and they, don't, they don't really care about winning. They don't really care about development. That's something they do individually in their offseason. They're not getting that from their head coach. They just want their head coach to put them on the court and leave them alone, and Don Staley uh, will do that. She'll put them on the court and leave them alone because she won't know what to say. And, and again, it's like if you watch her team, her team won last night clearly because they had far more talent and size than UConn. That game was hard to watch. There, there wasn't, there was, there's some little girl for UConn, Paige Block, Becker. Yeah, Paige. She seemed to have some skill. Everybody else was just throwing up shots and uh, South Carolina would grab the rebound and put it back in, and they just keep re- every miss. They just keep rebounding until they eventually made a basket. This wasn't a very skilled game last night. It wasn't a very well coached game last night. Uh, Jason. Know, so, in other words, yeah. it was women's college basketball. <laughs> That's what it was. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and to your first point about the hairstyle, so if Don Staley went to the NBA, uh, it would give new meaning to that offensive turn three-man weave. But here's, here's the issue yes. that I think that <laughs> I completely disagree with you. If she went to the Lakers, from a media market standpoint, it would be big. From being in terms of uh, involved with a first-class, iconic organization, that checks the box. Let's take a look at the Lakers. They're probably not going to make the playoffs, okay? LeBron James is at the very tail end of what has been a spectacular career. Still an elite player. The rest of that roster needs to be taken out to the penny saver and shipped for pennies on the dollar, as I date myself with that reference. They're a bad team. Think about it. You have LeBron and a bunch of guys that LeBron bought in that simply aren't very good. So let's say you go LeBron James, Don Staley, and what else? That I, I, You look at this situation right now, and I blame LeBron. He's the one who constructed this team. They're going to scapegoat Vogel. They're going to scapegoat that GM that looks like Rob Lowe. This is on LeBron. If I'm LeBron, I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. I've already got three rings. Um, do I want to bring in the circus? Sure. 
four. Well, I'm talking about the three-ring circus. This is Barnum and Bailey, what's going on with the Lakers. And for the first time ever, Jane, I've lived here my whole life. Even the local Laker flagship station, ESPN 710, as I drive around uh, to Montebello in my office, I've never heard this much criticism of the team. I mean, I remember when Magic had to retire in 91, and we went to that dark stage with Sedell Threed, Antonio Harvey, Pig Miller. We kind of understood this is going to be re- be a rebuilding process. The growing pains with early Shaq and Kobe, with Dell Harris. There's a little bit of criticism. But now there's a real heat on LeBron and this current organization over what has taken place. It's a bad team. I actually don't think if you're going to have Don Staley as an NBA coach, I wouldn't want to go to this current organization and this current roster. The NBA will get it done. Remember how they shut down the Chris Paul trade, that the original one that didn't even go to the late. They'll get it done. They'll get enough players in there to make the Lakers interesting. I'm t- she'll be in a major market, New York, L.A., somewhere that matters, um, not the Bulls, not Chicago, uh, but she'll be somewhere that matters where they can televise her and she can have a star player to, to coach. Let me move on because uh, we love to evaluate the broadcasting element. Did you see this Diana Taurasi, Sue Bird, Megan Rapino? Uh, S show that got put on. They had their version of the Manning cast yeah. last night. Uh, I think we got two separate clips. I want to play the one from last night where talking about the game of inches. Uh, and, and just to me, if, if this had been men, people would already be fired. Apologies would already be being issued. But since it's three lesbian women, uh, it's all celebrated. The Alphabet Mafia has their arms wrapped around Tarasi, Bird, and, and so here they are talking about the game of inches. So simple. It's it so is simple. simple. Yes, it's a, simple it's game. a game of inches at the same time, so those simple things yeah. are not always so simple. It is. A, it's clearly. a game of inches. Ask the Cox. Ask him. And they're taking those inches. Um, you do, know, you, do you take those inches? <laughs> absolutely. When you're on the court... <laughs> Did you take those inches? Absolutely. I mean, this is this is like Uncle this is like Uncle and Aunt Jimmy uh, doing a Manning cast for uh, for ESPN, and 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 I don't want to sound like some prude or whatever because Uncle Jimmy's on this show because I like crude humor, and I'm I'm not opposed to it, but. I'm just sorry, broadcasting a game under any circumstances, and I know that Eli Manning gave the double bird and blah, 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 but this is what I've always said about the LGBT female athlete. She's no different than the heterosexual male athlete. She's a sexual pervert. Uh, (laughs) She engages in locker room banter. And so all this demonization of men, and oh my God, toxic masculinity. Femininity can be just as toxic. And uh, these two women, three women doing their little locker room sexuality, blah, well you take those inches, blah, blah, blah. It's no more or less funny or appropriate than stuff men do. Well, 
Jason, a couple points. Number one, we're going to be fearless here. So I, I got to ask, what would they know about Cox? And second of all, if there's a team called the Cats, <laughs> would they have played it straight? Third of all, as someone that has had a lot of cringeworthy bad jokes, her delivery, she ain't FedEx. Terrible delivery. They're not funny. I know they're trying to be funny. Uh, they're really, really not funny and trying to be funny. And there's, here's the reason why there's no outrage, Jason. They're lucky nobody watched it. Nobody watches the regular telecast. Do you really think that they're going to watch an alternative broadcast? I was actually stunned reading your timeline, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, what's next? Is Jason going to watch Game Theory with Bomani Jones? I mean, were you punishing yourself or something? <laughs> Look, you know. first of all, first of all, let me just say that you don't know – the size of the strap-ons they keep in their bedroom. Uh -oh. And so, uh, <laughs> so uh -oh. <laughs> to say they know nothing about the Gamecocks, I think is completely <laughs> inappropriate, and it's all speculation on your part. Yeah. But, so I'm Steve, you would, you, would, you would admit, though, had men done this oh, yeah. type of banner during an fire uh, this is the toxic masculinity that yeah. must be eliminated. But since it's the alphabet mafia, nothing to see here. Of course, because I call it the double standard. No standard. There's a double standard for a certain amount of people. The other people hold themselves to no standard. Uh, but look, they're trying to be funny and maybe they felt like, OK, we got to do our version of Peyton Manning and his brother and try to be funny and to be risque. But I, when I look back at the uh, Manning cast, and I watched a pretty good amount of it in the early part of the show. They, they didn't do the whole double entendre sexual thing. They really didn't. They tried to be funny. And look, there's, there's actually a certain amount of locker room humor that is acceptable. It's okay. It's fun. This here simply doesn't pass the test. I, I thought it was kind of cringeworthy when you, when you talked about it. Jason, Something before I get out of here, something you said to Shamika Michelle about me sending you that picture from the 30 for 30. I sent you that about six weeks ago. That was from the Tom Brady uh, Woodson about the about the, uh, the tuck rule. And so I, I was really thinking about how you and Tom Brady have something in common now based on the picture and where you are now. You and Tom Brady each have a deflate gate to your credit. I had to get that one in there. Say good delivery, good yeah, joke. I said it. Take notes, ladies. That's the way you do it. Jeez. <laughs> uh, before I let you go, have you seen this Duke handshake line controversy? I heard about it, but here's the question. Um, are we now doing handshake lines? The very same people, I guarantee you this, the very same people that have an issue with Duke not doing the handshake line or certain players probably were saying with Juwan Howard, why do we even have a handshake line? Let's be honest about that. The double standard, no standard. Now, if it was a Christian Leitner or a Grayson Allen or a J.J. Redick, all would be an issue. But if it isn't one of those guys, it's not an issue. It's not an issue. Just competitive guys. Competitive guys. Well, I think Barstool halfway jokingly started this controversy and and – I'm sorry we, we don't have the clip. Hopefully we, we can put it in and, and show the, but what happened here was nothing. I, I watched the end of the game. The Duke players wanted to do the handshake line, looked and saw all the North Carolina players wildly celebrating at the end of the game and just assume the Duke players 
had no interest in, in I mean, ha, uh, the North Carolina players had no interest in the handshake line. Coach K originally went through the handshake line with the coaches and then circled back when he saw the North Carolina players lining up and maybe one or two other Duke players did as well. But I don't think this was some obvious thing of Duke players not wanting to do the handshake line. Initially, it looked like the North Carolina players had no interest. They were running around the court celebrating. This was nothing. And I just wanted to, you know, squeeze that in. It was nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So, and by the way, the right. lasting image yep. I have is Coach Koshevsky walking off with his wife. And I thought, you know what? That may be the last remnants of me ever caring about college basketball. Uh, it truly is an end of an era. And I'm actually, I'll be honest, I don't know about you, Jay. I don't care about tonight's finals. I'll watch it just for the one shining moment at the end. But without Coach K, no matter how you feel about him, he's one of the last figures of college basketball that when his team is on, you have a, at least a passing interest. Who is that guy anymore? Uh, I will be watching tonight. Bill Self is a friend of mine. Mm. I made my bones in Kansas City. Uh, some of my best memories are of uh, former Kansas alums uh, that I dated. And there, uh, many of them are in New Orleans going to their text to me, Jay, are you here? They're there with their husbands. They're married now. Uh, they're not circling back for inappropriate reasons. But. <laughs> 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 Rock Chalk Jayhawk. I kind of oh, wish, yeah. yeah, I kind of <laughs> wish I was in New Orleans because uh, I'm, I'm sitting here in particular thinking about one. Of, I took uh, a Kansas alum to the, I think the, the Jayhawks were in the Final Four in New Orleans and she reached out to me and was like, anyway, I kind of wish I was there. Just, it would remind me of my younger days when I was footloose and fancy free. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> I'm rooting for Kansas. I hope they get the national championship. Bill Self deserves a second title. All right, get your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com. Uh, Uncle Jimmy and our approval rating. We must exist in a state of man glorious as we are protected by the red, the white, and the blue. But remember, the mind is the key. The fearless soldier pledges to place God first and foremost in his everyday endeavors of life. We, the fearless army, are one nation under God, indivisible with freedom and a belief in the American dream. The men bold enough to join our movement comprise what we like to call the new dream team. We are leaders of our families, our churches, and of this nation. We reject the seeds of division that are planted by corporate media misinformation. We affirm that all men are created equal and are endowed with inalienable rights which are granted by our Heavenly Father. We are bound by honor to accept God's challenge, to take the flag and lead, to cherish, to protect, and to nurture the life of our unborn seed. I am a fearless soldier, so shed no tears for me. I am not a victim.
I am the man that God made me to be. Amen. All right, welcome back. Time for our approval rating on uh, Don Staley. Uh, but Will you stop changing the opening to this? Your favorite part of the uh, show. I've, already, I've given that title now to Sh- when Shamika comes on. <laughs> I eat you. <laughs> Just keep it real. Uh, uh, so, but before we get to the approval rating, Jim, I got, a, I got something I want to ask you about. Uh, let me pull this up here. Uh, your boy, your former co-worker, uh, Shannon Al Sharptongue, Shannon Sharp, the Fox Sports uh, broadcaster, had an interesting tweet. I know you're... What is wrong there. with you, man? That's your guy, you big fan of his. Oh, I can't wait to meet Shannon Sharp. It's one of the best things about being at Fox Sports. I get to work with Shannon Sharp. I'm two dressing rooms down from me, but keep on going, <laughs> yeah. man. You're making me mad. Uh, so he tweeted this weekend... I'd rather pay 20 bucks a gallon than have Trump in office. Hope that answers your question. This is in response to someone asking about Trump. He'd rather pay $20 a gallon than have Trump in office. Uh, Your thoughts on your former coworker? Um, I'm going to say it just like this. I thought Shannon was sharper than that. Mm, you, did. you see how I did that, Steve Kim? You hear that joke? I thought Shannon was sharper than that. I did, man. You did? I, I did. I thought he was sharper than that. Okay, man, he said that he don't care if gas gets up to $20 a gallon. Yeah. He probably don't. He probably don't care if it gets up to $50 a gallon. See? And that, to me, is the problem with that statement, man. You, you may truthfully feel like that, but the truth of the matter is the average American... Hey, man, if this gas gets much higher, we're going to have a problem. And for this dude to sit up here and say, oh, I don't care if it gets $20. Hey, man, if it gets $20 a gallon, that means that food and all other products are going to go up four and five times more than what it is. So Shannon's speaking like a true elitist. And even if that is how he feels, man, you shouldn't have, you don't have to say that, man. I mean, and then you're going to say, oh, gas gets up to $20 if so. If that's what he's, if what he's, that's what he's saying. So is he admitting that gas is up to five and six dollars a gallon because of Joe Biden? Is that what he's saying? A little bit. He's not. He's not thinking it through. <clears throat> Jason, look, and you asking me this, and I, hey man, we as black people got to be past this. Are, are we still on this? You, you ain't black if you like Donald Donald Trump card. That sounds just as stupid as saying. I voted for Obama because he was black. Come on, man. You know what? We did did we not do that? Yeah, I, I was guilty. <laughs> Get guilty as charged. But hey, man, let me tell you something. On the for real, Jason, I don't care if you black or if you white. I just care as long as you right. And that's what I think we as a people need to be looking at. I'm just saying. <clears throat> be I, nice. I, yeah, I'm gonna try to be here. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm not the biggest Shannon Sharp fan. I, I, anyone that's heard me talk knows. Uh, because, man, these guys get installed in these positions, man, because they're not bright. And what you're talking about, again, he, he's not bright. And, and I've heard him, this isn't 
the dumbest comment I've ever heard him make. It's just one of many uh, that he, he's like a Twitter creation and he's supported by Twitter and the social media because that's the message and the signal we want to send out to black people that this is how black men act, behave, think, and, and don't think. And so one of the dumbest things that Shannon ever said, someone would have to go back. Do you remember my podcast, Real Talk, when I was at Fox Sports years ago? Good luck coming, y'all. Good <laughs> luck coming, y'all. Yeah. Scatterman and Snug Rim. My dudes, man. Uh, made that song for me. You know, I need to find that song. But, uh, I got it. You do? Oh, yeah. Good. I want it. Anyway, on that real, I don't know you if did you did the podcast with the porn star. Go ahead. Was not a porn star. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. A friend of mine, Jim. Porn star. <laughs> Aspiring. Go ahead. By the way, excuse me, excuse me. You, you said one of your old, one of your old uh, things from KU reached out to you because yeah. she was there with her family? Yeah. Look, you know you ain't been to Kansas City in 30, 30 years, right? <laughs> so you mean she was there with her grandkids? Man, if you don't stop this mess, man, and realize how old you are, come on, man. <laughs> what was it, one of Danny Manny's old girls? Come on. Jim. One of Lester Earl's girls? <laughs> yeah, my, my old girlfriend's just reached 40 just now. <laughs> That meant she was... Uh, your memories. That, that meant she was... <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. Let's go, man. I'm yeah, sorry. Stop. I'm sorry. Uh, if you remember on my Real Talk podcast, do you remember the interview I did with Shannon where he basically, not basically, he said he would never give any money to his alma mater, Savannah State, and HBCU, the only school that offered him a scholarship. He would have no pro career. He would not be in the Hall of Fame without Savannah State. And I had this long discussion with him on my podcast about, what do you mean you don't support your school? What, what, what are you talking about? This is an HBCU, the only school that uh, would allow you in on a college campus, and you sitting up here bragging about how you would never give them a dime? And it was some of the dumbest thing, stuff I've ever heard. He didn't understand. Uh, the obligation and the debt he owed that university, and he made it crystal clear. I mean, he was adamant about it. And now that's why, I like, again, in the reality of Shannon Sharp and what he really supports is completely 180 degrees the opposite of the way he presents himself on TV. This pro-blackness stuff is a joke. And if he were legitimately pro-black and had any connection to black people, you wouldn't be on Twitter talking about, I don't care if it does get up to $20 a gallon, because you would be concerned about the great mass of black people who are struggling with gas at 4 and $5 a gallon. And just like you said, gas gets up to $20, what's the loaf of bread gonna cost? What's some fruit gonna cost? What's a box of Cheerios gonna cost? And so, again, not very bright, doesn't think things very through. He, he's a character from the movie Bamboozle. Man tan and eat and sleep. If you've never seen that, go watch that movie. This was back when Spike Lee used to actually make movies with a legitimate point of view. Go watch Bamboozle. That's what Shannon Sharp is enacting. A level of ignorance that white liberals love. Yeah, that's black.
wouldn't support his own HBCU. Uh, you know, I've already to- I- I've already revealed in previous interviews about Shannon Sharp throughout his whole playing career. The number one joke he had: If you ever see a black woman on my elbow, I'm holding her for, for the, the police. police. Now that one bothered me. That's just a fa- these are just fa- and so. This whole little pro-black game that he's playing over social media and on that TV show, it's offensive. Hold it, but you got a whole bunch of brothers play that game. Black, black, black. Hey, excuse me, where the white girls? At least I keep it real. Uh, (laughs) That's why you didn't make it in the NFL. Come on, man. Let's, let's go, go to Don man. Staley. Let's go, man. Let's, let's, I, don't, I got way too serious here. Uh, job performance, John, Don Staley. She just won a national turf second. Uh, you know, and they came out for the national anthem. I'll give her a 24 in job performance. Can't give her a perfect score because it's just not competitive enough in women's college basketball. Okay. Look, I give her a 25. Uh, she's a champion. She's one of the best ever. And I'm going to be honest with you, man. She kind of put me in mind of Salt from salt and pepper. She just got that little look. She does have a little salt and pepper. Baby, baby. I'm just saying. Go ahead, man. (laughs) That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, Character. uh, I'm gonna go an 18. I don't. You know, I'm not quite sure how she arranges her pregame schedule to where they can't be out for the national anthem. And she does a lot of complaining. She's 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 a little bit of weight. She got a little waiting to XL in her. Okay, well, she ain't as much of a lesbian as y'all claim she is, then, is she? That's Steve Kim. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know where he got that at. I was trying to find. Anyway, I give her a 13, man. Uh, and, wow. I give her 13 for character because, honestly, she, 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 she's a coach. She's leading the girls. She also, she's got a lot of charity. She's doing a lot of educational work, you know, but skipping the anthem, talking about it goes against. Come well, on, man. Keep it real. Mm. Come on. That's called passive regressive, ain't it? I, that's why I've knocked her down on authenticity. I've got her a 10. I don't think, she came up with this excuse, well, if they play the national anthem at this time, we'll be out there, but if they don't, we're inside our locker room, that's our routine, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's authentic. I think she's got a problem with the national anthem. She wants to be a little Colin Kaepernick. She wants to be a little angry, uh, pissed off, uh, you know, social justice warrior, own it. You give her a 10, I give her a 15. And I agree with you because what you just said. But the kids have a phrase for that. They say that that's a little sus. That's a little suspect for what oh, you say. Oh, suspect, yeah. Gotcha. Okay, but on the frill, I give her a 15, man, because she's a great leader. People look up to her, even though she only 5'6". They look up to her. You know, let's face it, she ain't no Britney Grinder, but, uh, you know, they <laughs> like her. <laughs> it factor. Your salt and pepper comment is why I have her at a 19 in it factor. I, you know, I used to like her back in the day, man. Yes. If you remember back in the day. Yes. Yes, I agree. I give her a 16. No question. But she's a great coach. Uh, and she reminds me of, you know, uh, uh, what I see happening with a lot of women. See, she, th- her team is not the only women's team that's skipping the national anthem. She just won and we giving her credit. This seems like something that's really going on in women's sports that they're all skipping the anthem. So I'm not going to just single her out and question her patronage patriotism. I'm questioning all of the women that's skipping it, okay? So that's how I feel about that. So They're mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore, Jim. I agree. <laughs> we almost right. got it together. Almost. Uh, I've got her at a grease fire of 71. You have her at a grease fire of 69. Yeah. Not, play tomorrow before Jim says something inappropriate. 
play tomorrow before Jim says something inappropriate. Before you go down to Tarasi and start talking about a game of inches and all of it. Hey, you know what all, 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 them, all them women were saying was they just wished that the men would grow up. <laughs> Rise up. Hey, we gotta go. We gotta go. No negotiation, my sister, no relation. We all just wanna have freedom. Sitting on a corner, never been alone. I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back. We are receiving, all receiving. We all wanna be free. We want freedom.